0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. It is currently 3.09 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I have to apologize. I've got to adjust the microphone. There we go. All right, I think that's a little bit better. Uh, The microphone had dropped, and the face of the microphone had dropped, and I was, like, talking over it. So I think that's a little bit better. So let's try that again. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 15th, 2022. It is currently 3.10 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, one of the things I absolutely love about podcasting, especially the way I podcast, where I do so many live broadcasts a day, like just so many, one episode after another episode after another episode, and things are very organic, right? It's not like, oh, I wait two or three weeks between episodes or I wait, you know, 24 hours. No, I can go live at any time and things, they're always developing. Everything's happening in real time, right? So many times I come up here and turn on the microphone because of something that I just saw, something I just heard, something that I'm reacting to in real time. And I love that feeling of it, right? I love that. Now, not not everyone may appreciate that. They don't care like if you release one episode every week or one, or, or, you know, ep- they don't really care. Just if there's something they'll listen to that maybe they'll listen to it. But I just like the way the, this, this kind of, flows, the way it develops, everything happening in real time. So there's lots of times I wake up and I have an idea, oh, today I'm going to cover this. I'm going to cover this. I'm going to cover this. But anything at any time can disrupt everything. And well, everything has been a little bit disrupted because of an email I received yesterday. And I'm absolutely fascinated that we got the email. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm still sitting here going, wait, wait, they found our podcast. Wait, they heard about what I said. How did that happen? Because Look, on one hand, I can look at numbers, right? I can look at the numbers of a podcast and they're just numbers. There's no there's no names attached to those numbers. There's no faces. I can say, oh, look, we're one of the, we are in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, right? That's not theology podcast, top 10% of all podcasts that places us above 2 million. I, I can look up the exact number. We're above like 2 million other different podcasts. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. But it's still so meaningless. It's just a number. It's just a percentage. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean anything until people email me, right? Until people contact me because now I have a name. I have a reaction. I have either they like it, they hate it, they disagree, they're upset by it. So at least now it becomes something more tangible. It doesn't become something so vague. So um, I love when I get the emails and I've always said the emails really determine a lot of times the direction the podcast is going to go for that particular day or for the next 24, 8, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it may be, because one email can take us down a path that, well, how did we end up here? Well, it all started with an email. And so I do love that. And well, yesterday afternoon, I received an email that has, is going to change the direction of this podcast At least for the foreseeable future, at least for some of the broadcasts, I'm still going to be covering and working in all the other series. But our attention is going to be turned back to something I first mentioned on September the first, 2022. I spent one hour, six minutes, and five seconds talking about the Frankfurt Declaration. The Frankfurt Declaration. Now when I initially did my the first broadcast I really thought it was going to spark a lot of controversy a lot of opinions either pro or against and I I did see that on certain areas of social media there was a little there was a little bit of buzz about the Frankfurt declaration but it seems that it was there and it was gone like it was just like a strong wind and it was just gone five minutes later and everybody just seemed to move on. And based off the numbers of downloads, based on the number of streams, based on the number of emails, most people were not that worried, interested, or cared less about the Frankfurt Declaration. And that, that raises a question in my mind, okay? And you may be thinking, well, based on that, why are you talking about it again? Well, it goes to the email I received yesterday, but we'll, we'll talk about the email in a minute. Here's my thought. Now, for those who don't know, the Frankfurt Declaration is basically, it's a declaration of faith. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. We'll talk a little bit about what it's about, but it's like, hey, here's what we believe. Here's what we deny. Here's what we're saying. Here's what we're not saying. And then they have scriptural support. It's a declaration of faith. It's a statement of faith. Which is not that uncommon, obviously, in church history and Christian history. Typically, when the church is facing some kind of theological, doctrinal dispute, facing something, a creed, uh, a confession of faith, a catechism, something is released to try to define, no, this is what we believe, and I appreciate statements of faith and doctrinal statements and and declarations of faith because I like when things are clearly defined I may disagree with them but at least I know exactly where they stand and I can can then know exactly where I stand but maybe i I'm still trying to figure out why the Frankfurt declaration didn't really seem to I don't know. Spark as much conversation as I thought. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's a lot of conversation going on in some circles that I'm not seeing. And I asked everyone, if you see lots of discussion about it, email me and let me know. I think I've only received one or two emails like, hey, this person talked about it. And I'm like, that's it, really? So maybe there's more and people are just not emailing me. But if you see and hear, like post about the Frankfurt Declaration, people in your church talking about it, let me know. Now, w- one of the reasons it got the initial buzz is the Frankfurt Declaration was signed. Like they, they put out the Frankfurt Declaration and then they had people, anyone could sign to show their support for it that they wanted to like, you know, no, they're attaching their name to it. You had uh, two big names that got lots of attention. Dr. John MacArthur and Dr. James White. This created a little bit of buzz, at least maybe more so in say the reform circles. I mean, I hold to uh, reform theology, so um, maybe more in those circles. But for the most part, um, again, it just did not much happen. So here's my question: Do you think in 2022, as far as the church at large is concerned, a statement of faith? A declaration of faith, a doctrinal statement being released and signed by prominent, well-known Bible teachers and pastors. Do you think it's really now kind of just like, <sighs> whatever, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever? Uh, we, we've seen that before. Who cares? They got their statement of faith. I agree. They, uh, they, I disagree. Whatever. It's not binding. Doesn't mean anything. I could care less. Do, do you think it? Do you think we've kind of reached a point that for the most part, doctrinal statements, doctoral, doctrinal declarations don't really mean much within the evangelical world? I don't know. I, I'm not trying to read too much into it, but I just find the, the response has been somewhat interesting just because it did not generate what i thought it was now sometimes i am I'm, I'm i'm way off on what i think a uh, a podcast episode will generate i think oh wow we're going to get about this many numbers and then sometimes i'm like what that was it and then sometimes i'm like oh well this is not going to do much and i'm like Whoa, what what just happened so you never know how things are going to go i'm just curious if if this the lack of real buzz and conversation and discussion about it i wonder if that's demonstrates Something within the evangelical world today. I could be wrong. You can give me your thoughts about that. But let's remind ourselves of the Frankfurt Declaration, all right? The Frankfurt Declaration, I've got to pull up the document. If you go to Frankfurtdeclaration.com, that's frankfurtdeclaration.com, Frankfurt F-R-A-N-K, F-U-R-T and then, of course, the word declaration.com, frankfurtdeclaration.com, you can look at the document for yourself. You can look at this statement of faith for yourself. And I would definitely challenge you to look at it. I would definitely challenge you to read it. I would definitely challenge you to discuss it in your Sunday school. I would definitely challenge you to discuss it in your church from the pulpit because it's a statement of faith that deals with issues that are very much relevant, and lots of Christians have different opinions about them. So I think there should be a lively discussion, even if when you're done, you reject the Frankfurt Declaration, like you're like completely reject every word of it. But if it helps better formulate your own thinking in regards to these topics, that's the way I look at all statements of faith, right? I, I can take the statements of faith from the assemblies of God. I disagree with so much, but you know what? If I talk about it, if I, if I teach through their statement of faith, it makes me better clarify and define and re- refine what I believe so that I can speak clearly to it. So uh, no matter what the Declaration of Faith is, it's always positive to look at it and consider it. So spend some time looking at the Frankfurt Declaration because we are going to probably begin a series now where we're going to work through the Frankfurt Declaration. And um, I'll create a series for the Church One app. Uh, so if you go to church or if you go to any of your app stores, Apple, Google, Google, type in Church One, Church O-N-E, download the Church One app, Church O-N-E. Once you download the app, simply search for Theology Central, boom, choose us as your chosen broadcaster, and the Church One app becomes the Theology Central app, and then you have all of our series. You can be notified every time we go live on the air. You can be notified every time we add a new sermon. It, it's it's a, it's a very easy-to-use app, and uh, it just... It allows us to, on, on most podcasting apps, our podcast, like if you try to go back and find the, the episode for September the 1st, I don't know how far you're going to have to scroll down because we release so many episodes. But on the Church One app, you can just go, wait, what's, oh, it's right there, the Frankfurt Declaration. It's its own series. And it will be its own series with its own artwork. Um, and I will have that ready to go probably by 5 p.m. Central Time tonight someone's already created the artwork for me i just have to go in and create uh, everything for the series and we're going to be working through the declaration itself and trying to help us figure out what 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 we should think about it and really it's not even so much about what i should think about the frankfurt declaration i'm looking at it what should we think about each one of these topics it doesn't to me it doesn't ultimately matter what they say about it it's like, okay, you've got me thinking about it. Now, what do I believe is a biblical approach? Maybe I agree. Maybe I disagree. Maybe they changed my mind. It's irrelevant. It, it, it gets us talking and thinking in regards to some of these important topics. But this gives you kind of an idea of what the Frankfurt Declaration is. Here is how it's uh, on the, on the, when you go to the page, frankfurddeclaration.com. For, for the sake of Christ and his church. The Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. That's getting us somewhere. Like this is, that the, the Frankfurt Declaration is about Christian and civil liberties. It's got something to do with how maybe Christians interact in a world, government, liberty, freedom. Okay, Let, let's see what they have to say here. Here's the introduction. Christians Against the Abuse of Power In the course of human events, it sometimes becomes necessary for people of good faith to speak out against the abuse of power. This should be done only after serious and prayerful deliberation, and even then in an attitude of humility with respect for the authorities that have been established by God. Such protest should be expressed in the hope that civil authorities who are found to be eroding rights and liberties may yet fulfill their responsibility as their rightful guardians. A few concerned pastors from different continents moved by an emergent, totalitarianism of the state over all realms of society, and particularly the church, and the disregard of God-given constitutionality-guaranteed rights during the COVID crisis, joined in common cause to craft a solemn declaration which seeks to address these threats with with the timeless truths of God's word. The following affirmations and denials derived from biblical principles were put forth for consideration by all Christians and relevant authorities, and the hope that this document will give light and strength to faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ in our day. So, basically, they believe the world is kind of moving towards a totalitarianism, where they're trying to, basically, the state is trying to be over all realms of society, particularly the church, and they they're disregarding their god-given uh, given they're they're disregarding pe- uh, the churches and i guess people's god-given constitutionally guaranteed rights especially during the covid crisis all right so we got a little bit of covid you got this idea of totalitarianism losing religious liberty and all of these types of concepts so you can kind of see which direction they are going now you know that one i believe the church has been so politically hijacked it's not even funny you know that my perspective far more is to focus on the teaching and preaching of God's word, calling people to faith once they come to faith and discipling them to uh, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. I'm far more concerned about the Great Commission than a lot of the political issues, but I understand many people are concerned about what they perceive as to be the loss of religious liberty and freedom and that a government that they believe may be moving towards a totalitarianism. Now, I believe the biblical approach more so is not protest and arguing and fighting the government. It's more just proclaiming God's word, calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe I have a little bit of a different focus, but these are relevant issues in our time, right? And I don't believe situations is going to get better. I believe it's going to get worse, not only in the culture within the church. So it's always important to try to figure out exactly what the Bible tells us to do and what it never mentions. I, I think sometimes in some of these issues, what the Bible never mentions or what the Bible never points us to is just as important as what it says, because there's a lot of things it doesn't say that I hear a lot of people saying, we need to do this and do that. And I'm like, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. So if we're just going to start adding things we're supposed to do, that's not in scripture, that could be problematic. I'm not saying that's what they do. I'm just saying these are always my concerns when these issues are put forth. So I did an hour and six minutes talking about the Frankfurt Declaration and I utilize what I did that day. It, I mean, I, I literally went live less than an hour after someone sent me the Frankfurt Declaration. And so I just went on Google and found the very first news article from a Christian source or a so-called Christian source. And this time it was the Baptist News something. And I'm like, okay. So that article was very, 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 very hostile, snarky, sarcastic, and did not like the Frankfurt Declaration. But I wanted at least to let that perspective be heard. I raised lots of questions and said, based off response— Maybe we'll start a series working on the Frankfurt Declaration. Next thing I know, I got this series to work on, this series to work on. And because the responses were few and far between, I didn't think it was of that. I I was like, maybe we'll get back around to it at some point. Well, yesterday, I got the following email. Now, I'm not going to read every single word, but we are going to work through parts of the email because I think it's so important um, that this person took the time to email me. Here is the email I received yesterday. I just found your podcast and want to thank you for bringing attention to the Frankfurt Declaration. All right. Now I figured what, when I first read the first line, I'm like, okay, okay. Someone There's someone out there who appreciates it. They're, I'm assuming they think that it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And they're just glad that I brought it up. And then I was waiting for, uh-oh, if they're thankful I brought attention to it. Maybe they like it and now they're going to correct me on all the things they think I got wrong. Or maybe they're grateful I brought attention to it because they did—they don't like it and they were appreciative of any criticism I seemed to offer to it. Now, I apologize, I had to cough right there. So I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I was like, okay, at least someone, someone listened to it. So let's see what they have to say. So this is how the rest of the email goes. Or right, not all of it. Here's the next part. I just found your podcast. and want to thank you for bringing attention to the Frankfurt Declaration. I am one of the three co-authors of the Declaration. And I was like, wait, what? One of the co-authors of the Frankfurt Declaration – Heard my podcast? Again, what what did I say? Numbers don't mean anything to me. When someone responds to you, then you kind of realize, wait a minute, people are out there listening and they do find us. So I was immediately like, whoa, that's, then I, then immediately I stopped reading and I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. What did I say? I mean, I've done hours and hours of live broadcasting since then. So I'm like, I wonder if I said something offensive. I wonder uh-oh, I wonder if this person's mad. They're getting ready to ask me to delete the episode. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want any drama. Oh, no. And I was like, man, why did I mention? And then I was like, but I'm like, okay, let me finish reading this. So again, I just found your podcast. I want to thank you for bringing attention to the Frankfurt Declaration. I'm one of the three co-authors of the Declaration. I'm an American missionary pastor in France. The two other uh, co-authors are a German pastor in Frankfurt, Germany, and a pastor in South Africa. We spent a year and a half preparing the declaration and sought input from others around the world. Now, a couple of things, let's just get out of the way. Whatever I read in this email, there's. I got I got this one and I got a second one because once, uh, once I got this one, I immediately emailed them back, said thank you, and asked if I could use their email in talking about it on, on the air, But because I did not, you know, if they didn't want me to mention it, then I would not going to mention the email in any way, shape, or form. So I got permission. That's why I'm talking about it right now. But I want to make something very, 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 very clear. Whatever is said in this email reflects the person who wrote it. It does not reflect the opinions or thoughts of the other co-authors. And it definitely does not reflect maybe the opinions of those who signed the Frankfurt Declaration. So anything that I interact with here is simply this one, one of the co-authors, as his exact words, he's one of the three co-authors of the declaration. This does not reflect on anything other than this one individual, not on the two other co-authors, not on anyone who signed the document. So I don't want anyone to say, oh, everyone associated with the Frankfurt Declaration said this. No, this just refers to one individual who emailed me and was kind enough. To offer me to grant me permission to at least interact with this email, and the re- and here's the reason I'm going to interact with the email. Listen carefully, because I feel that it's going to be important. I I, I think I, I decided at some point that we're going to do an entire series on the Frankfurt Declaration. I was going back and forth. Once I got the email, then I'm like definitely. So if I'm going to go through the entire document, article by article, scripture reference by scripture reference offering critique, whether agreement or disagreement, I think a good way to start that is to start with one of the co-authors and some of the things they had to say. Some of the things that may clarify, some of the things I asked in the original post. Maybe it will answer questions that are already out there floating out, floating around in podcast land. Maybe it will add some clarification because the one thing you want to do when you get ready, whenever I, I do the same thing when I review sermons, right? we don't review sound bites. We review the entire sermon, right? Because I don't want a pastor's words to ever be taken out of context. So if we're going to look at the Frankfurt Declaration, a little bit of context from one of its co-authors gives us maybe, maybe changes our perspective as we go into it. We have somewhat of a, maybe it's not just here are words on a page, but they do reflect there's human beings behind it. And so, um, I, I hope that will pro- this will provide some kind of uh, clarification. They spent a year and a half preparing the declaration and sought input from others around the world. So that's good. Three authors, basically. Three, you know, co-authors, however you would like to put it. We'll say three authors. And they, they sought input from people around the world. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Multitude of counselors. There's safety. So that's, that, that's really good to hear. They go on to say, we do plan to put the date... On the website now. The reason I said this when I got sent the Frankfurt Declaration and I went to it live on the air, I was like, "When was this thing signed? Like, I when was this thing written? I need a date because I didn't know if like, am I reading something that's a year old? <laughs> am I reading something six months old? Six months old? Six minutes old? So um, I was <laughs> I was raising lots of questions because I'm like, I'm live on the air because I just thought immediately when I went to the website it'd be like, boom, signed on this date, but I I had nothing but this is what they say. We plan to put the date on the website. We'd already made that decision before I heard your po- podcast, but it may take a few days to make the change. It was at the end of August, 2022, that the German pastor and our group presented the declaration to a pastor's conference in Frankfurt. Uh, that's why we decided to call it the Frankfurt Declaration. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Because there was a, there was a, another Frankfurt Declaration that was what the 50s, 60s, and I think it was about like for socialism. So they're like, why, why did they choose that name? That makes perfect sense. There's no grand conspiracy. There's no like the, no, he they presented it at a pastor's conference in Frankfurt. And <laughs> that's why they decided to call that. So that takes away any like, why would what did they were they not aware? What like, no, it just it's simple. That's where they were. I would love if that I don't know how it was presented to the pastors' conference. Don't know if it was done in a keynote address. If there's audio from that conference, I would love to have that so we could review the audio of exactly what was said because that would provide more context. I think the more context we have, the more fair we can be in in working through the Frankfurt Declaration. So this is just so awesome that one of the authors actually uh, reached out to me so that when we talk about it, we can do so as fairly as possible. Now, look, I still may disagree, right? So... But at least I will understand maybe the heart and the and the motivation behind it. So because it's always easy when you read something, we're all guilty of this. We can judge motives, right? We can judge and we I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that we're as fair and, and that we can be as well as we do this. And hopefully it's going to be helpful to everyone. Just before we went live with the website, we are we are aware not only of the 1951 for, so uh so it was at the pastors conference where they decided to call it the Frankfurt De- declaration and this is where it was presented uh, just before we went live with the website. We are aware not only of the 1951 Frankfurt declaration on socialism but also of several other Frankfurt declarations going back to at least 1813. All right. So that's interesting. So there's multiple ones. Now there's a couple of times in the, in this email, he makes a reference to the article that I referenced in my first broadcast, but this is not, I'm not, I'm not going to read anything he says in regards to that because he, I mean, he, uh, This is not designed to try to be a refutation or an argument against that original article. He's not writing. He was not writing to me in any way, shape or form to say, hey, here's all the reasons that article was wrong. It didn't come across that way. It was more like, hey, here's some information to help you understand better. And I really appreciate that uh, because I was just simply using the first news article I came across. That's what I was doing. Uh, And just in a real time, live on the air reaction to everything. So I'm glad that instead of like, wait, you quoted this article and this article is wrong for these 50 reasons. It's more like, hey, thank you for bringing attention to it. Here's some information about some of the things you raised and some of the issues you raised. I really appreciate that because he could have been he could have been very defensive. Like, why did you use an article that was so you know, sarcastic and attacking us? It, it, this is not coming across defensive at all. It's coming across like, hey, here's some information that may provide... F- Further context, I really appreciate that. That's really awesome, and a very kind of a godly approach. And I really appreciate that. Uh, okay, um, let me see here. I, again, he says some things about the article. Um, this isn't interesting. The declaration is not a Calvinist declaration. While the German and Southern African South African pastors are both Calvinist Baptist the person writing me is a wesleyan arminian all right so that's it's not a so in other words if you hate calvinism the frankfurt declaration is not nec- is not a calvinistic declaration of faith if you are if and so i would I, I i think i think it would be safe to say if you're calvinist you can't be upset and say oh it's a wesleyan arminian one it seems like that calvinism arminianism is not the focal point in this document so that's not the issue That that soteriological perspective is not, seems to play in to, because you got people from different soteriological perspectives agreeing on this particular document. So their soteriology doesn't seem to impact, or or this document is not trying to say anything in regards to soteriology. So whether, you can't call it a Calvinistic doctrine because one of the authors is Wesleyan Arminian, all right? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, uh, And and I think it's good to know. I think it's good to know. I think it's good to know. So because you you see people like Dr. James White signing it or Dr. MacArthur, you're like, oh, oh, the Calvinists, the Calvinists are coming. And it may not have anything to do with The Calvinists aren't coming. These may be fellow believers who differ maybe in, in areas related to soteriology, but are in agreement and things dealing with Christian and civil liberties. All right. Uh, They said the large, uh, it says here, uh, our goal was to produce a biblical document based on our understanding of scripture with no positions that were unique to our theological tradition. The large percentage of Calvinists among the initial signers is simply the result of personal contacts that the German pastor had with pastors in the US, Canada, and Germany. So the reason there were so many Calvinists at the beginning is because of, well, networking, contacts. Oh, I got contacts here. I got contacts here. Well, if you're Calvinist and that's the quote unquote theological circle you run in, then guess who your contacts are going to be? They're going to be people are Calvinistic. And so if they agree with the document, they're going to sign it. So it may give the appearance like the Calvinists are at it again. The Calvinist has another, you know, statement of faith. But I mean, again, I don't, I don't perceive there's anything, um, nefarious or evil about having statements of faith. I love statements of faith, maybe because I'm from a reformed tradition, but I just I like clarity. I like here is the position. Okay. All right. Now, I may disagree with it, but it's clearly stated. There's nothing ambiguous about it. They said, um it says, "While well, I can understand that some Americans will view this as a US-centered document, it is not." We are aware of what happened in some parts of the U- U.S., especially California, in which the U.S. Supreme Court sided with churches that refused to close down, not only setting aside the fines levied against the churches, but ordering the California government to pay compensation to the churches. Now, he's referring to the lockdowns and things that happened in California. Now, let me just make sure I've got to state this one more time, my position, because, this, because if I don't get this out of the way, I've already stated it in the first broadcast, But that's been fifteen days, so I'm going to state this again because this is the position I will be operating from. Right here's my my position, and I know my position is in the minority, and I know many pastors loathe my position. They hate it. They think that they may think that I'm a liberal, that I'm a you know whatever. But make sure you understand. I believe in the historical biblical Christianity, very much in the Reformed tradition. I believe in the historical creeds of the church, the confessions of faith. I hold to the London Baptist confession of faith. I I believe in sound biblical doctrine. I mean, biblical exegesis, hermeneutics, church history. So just because I have a different opinion on how churches handled COVID, I would hope that people would not attack me as being some liberal. So when I go to the Frankfurt Declaration, and a lot of this was motivated by what happened In regards to COVID, I may already start off with a, it may appear to be a hostile perspective because I'm just very frustrated with how the church handled the COVID situation. Right when the COVID situation was was beginning, First, just so you know, I worked in the medical world for 19 years. So I definitely was looking at it more from a medical perspective, right? I, I, and I could get involved in, in my uh, interaction with things, dealing with bird flu and other, other things that, that happened and my jobs in the military because I was worked in the med- uh, military medical world. But um, so I looked at it more from that perspective. But I also, and I, and I can go back and find the broadcast to demonstrate this. I kept turning on the microphone going, all right, guys, we got a pandemic right? I mean, the entire world's going to be impacted. People from every walk of life is going to be impacted. People from all kinds of different religious traditions are going to be impacted. People are going to get sick and people are going to die. Now, this is going to be, this could have profound impact on, on where you go, where you can't go, what you can, what you can't do. This is going to be a crazy period of time. Now we can look at this as Christians from of the perspective of what can we do in this period of time to better glorify God, serve God, love our neighbor? What can we do that when this pandemic is over, we emerge as Christians, as the church at large, better off than when we went into the pandemic? Like I'm thinking, we may have some opportunities here for self-reflection, for Bible study, for devotional study. We may have the opportunity here especially with the use of technology to to present the gospel to even more people to feed people to disciple people we've got opportunities here but it only it took it felt like to me that from the minute i released that first podcast episode within 15 minutes christians were not like what can we do in this to serve god serve others it became uh, what about us our rights us us conspiratorial thinking and it became this like We're going to prove a point and it's going to be about us. And it's going to be about our rights, not about what can we do, but what about our rights? It was really weird. And like churches wanted to make a statement more than I felt they wanted to minister to people. So my perspective has always been this, that when the government put forth, here's what we need churches to do in the pandemic. Now, I know in some places they went beyond this. Some places stayed very consistent with this, but for most cases, the the the, the ask for the churches went something like this: reduce the uh, the capacity of people for each individual surface. So you can't have a hundred percent capacity. We need twenty five percent capacity, fifteen percent capacity, twenty five percent capacity, ten percent capacity. All right, uh, we need you to wear a mask, and we need social distancing. All right, and have hand sanitizers or things like that in in the sanctuary. Okay. Now, my thought was, all right, whether I like it, whether I dislike it, we can work within that. And my thought is what churches should have done is looked at, okay, what can we do here? Well, We can increase the number of services because they didn't say you can only have one service. They just said that for each service, you have to limit the capacity. So I'm like, have four services, have seven services. Here's what you could do. You could have a service Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could have a service Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Monday night. You could have services around the clock if you want. Like use, operate within it. Just be creative and minister to people. Not only that, I was like, pastors could be sitting in their office turning on microphones, doing live broadcasts saying, we're going to do, we're going to go through the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to go through the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We're going to do verse by verse through this book. And then just people all around who are in lockdown, maybe working at home, could just turn on the internet and listen to sermons and Bible studies. And that we could be like, it could be a massive time of spiritual growth. But churches seem like, no, we're going to make a point. We're going to have a drive-in service. Well, everybody's just going to be sitting in their car anyway. Are you just trying to make a point? What are you trying to do? And then you realize that in many cases it was about money more than it was about anything else. And I'm not a fan of that. It seems like instead of saying, what can I do to operate within these restrictions so that I can better serve God, serve others, Love my neighbor, show love to my community, because the last thing the church wants to do is A, people getting sick or the church spreading it. So now I'm not, am I saying that every decision by the government was right? No, I've never said that. Do I believe in some states they may be uh, overstepped? Absolutely. But I didn't feel like the churches were like, look, we're willing to do all of these steps. We're, 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 We're trying to meet you halfway, work with us. It was more like, nope if you tell us to do this, we're not going to do anything. And I did not like that rebellious, arrogant, like uh, other people are being impacted uh, all around you. People of other religions are being impacted. Movie theaters are being impacted. Sporting events. But the church is like, how dare you tell us what to do? And I did not like that in any way. I didn't see humility going, come on, come on, look, we're willing to do this. Can you work with us? Please. We're trying, but I, I didn't feel like that. So I have some issues with the way the church handles it. But I do understand that in many cases, the US Supreme the Supreme Court did side with churches. They And the churches, not only setting aside the fines, the government had to pay compensation to the churches. It was absolutely crazy. But we were much more concerned with Canada, where the government was silent as churches were burnt to the ground and shut down churches for months, imprisoning pastors who refused to comply uh, who, who refused to comply. With Germany, where churches were allowed to meet, but it was illegal to sing, uh, even with mask and social distancing. With France, which had passed a new law with regard to all religious groups that establishes a worship police that has the power to shut down only church, uh, any church or mosque, or with several European countries that talked about requiring churches to, den- to- Deny entry to anyone who did not have a vaccine pass. This was not implemented, but it still is being considered in some places. Now, listen, there's some places that may have went way too far. And I will be, I I took, the way I viewed it is case by case, case by case. We're going to take it. And what was going on in that case? I just think the attitude of Christians should have been, right now, we need to stop focusing on us. We need to stop focusing on our rights and we need to focus on a world where people are getting sick and dying. We need to focus on a world that's scared to death about a pandemic. We need to focus on a world where people are in isolation and they're lonely and they're depressed and they're discouraged and they're dealing with anxiety. How can I minister to them? It can't just be my rights, my rights, my rights. See, I would have liked it more like, hey, release a document that tells how Christians can better respond to a world in crisis where people are lonely and scared and getting sick and dying versus our rights. I just think there's there's a time to worry about your rights, and there's a time to not worry about your rights and worry about the lives of other people. And I just thought that the church focused on rights, not on ministry. Now, I'm not saying that these other issues should not be addressed. I just feel like that that other was ignored during the pandemic. And and, and I don't apologize for that. That doesn't make me a liberal. That doesn't make me a Bible denier. That just makes me going, man, Jesus seems to be like, place others before you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Focus on others. Minister to others. Not... Hey, we got a situation and our rights are being infringed upon. Well, we, we can address that, but our first concern is what can we do to minister to people? I, am I saying there was never a time to address it? There's some of those places where you're like, man, what in the world is going on here? Okay, uh, whoa, okay, okay. Why are they going this direction? Now, my first question is, is it just targeted at churches? Or tar- well, even in some of those places, wasn't targeted just at the church. It was even talk, uh, targeting Islamic mosques. So then you're like, so the state and, and and the way it's treating religion, is that appropriate or not appropriate in the, in, in the sense of the pandemic? Not, not maybe what we knew later, but at the time with the knowledge that they knew, because there was like a lot of mistakes made in the initial phase of the pandemic, which you can't be shocked by. It was a novel coronavirus. It was There was going to be lots of mis- misunderstanding and horrible mistakes made, not only by the medical world, by the political world, and by business leaders and by everyone else. So I, I, I tend to offer a little bit more grace and I tend to just focus on, I don't expect the world to, to get it right. I don't expect the world to see the church as, as essential. I don't. What I want the world, what I wanted the world to see is a church going, hey, what do you need? The world is in quote unquote crises. The, the world, what do you need? What can we do? What, what do you need from the church right now? What? How can the church help you? Not what can the what can the state do for me, but what can the church do for a world that was in a, in a horrible situation? And it just seemed like we were more worried about the right to sing or the right to assemble and the right to preach more than, a, than the responsibility to minister. So I just think there has to be balance to this. But they go on to say, in Article 5, We do state that no government has authority over the church to regulate any of its affairs and matters of faith and practice. I'm sure you are aware the expression faith and practice is a technical term referring to what the churches believe, teaches, and how we conduct worship. All right, I can understand that because typically when I hear uh, that, hey, we don't want the church regulating anything that, uh, any affairs to the church. Sometimes I will point out, well, they are already offer lots of things regulating the church, right? Like you've got safety codes, you got to have an exit here, fire extinguisher here, you got wiring codes, you got, you got lots of things that already regulates. But he's saying, and, and I, and I appreciate this, and I may not have been clear, uh, as well. So I apologize if I was unclear in my criticisms here. But the expression faith and practice is a technical term referring to what churches believe, teaches, and how we conduct worship. Right. I, I do believe the government should not in any way, shape, or form impose itself or tries to regulate what we believe, what we, how we practice our religion, and our worship. I do agree on all of that. Now, you can say— um, Oh, how we conduct worship. Okay. Now, I, I think the, I think the state can impose when we conduct worship, as far as this is concerned, um, if there's a hurricane or a wildfire, they may make mandatory evacuations so that you cannot go back into the area where your church is located. And I think most people would believe that's acceptable. But I understand what you're saying, that the church, the government can't come on and say, you can't believe this, you can't do this. Okay. I understand that there is a uh, a technical aspect to that. And I think we would be in somewhat of a. Agree- I I think I would be in agreement. I would be in agreement with that. It just depends on how the language is being used. But I think I know what they're saying there. And there would be at least a level of agreement uh, there. All right. Well, this may not be an issue in the US at this time. It's an issue in some parts of the world. In Finland, a Christian member of parliament was tried for a hate crime because of tweeting a Bible verse that was considered to be homophobic. And France, we are told not to baptize for almost a year. Our declaration neither states nor implies that government cannot regulate things like fire extinguisher and emergency exits. Okay, thank you so very much. And I apologize if I did not make that distinction. And that's on me. That's on me. If I did not make that, I'd have to go back and listen to everything I said. But I, I definitely understand that there is a difference where, okay, the state can regulate this. But there's a, there's, a, there's a line where we would say, nope, sorry, you cannot regulate that, right? You can't regulate the, what I am to preach, teach, believe our doctrine or anything in regards to that. I, I think we're in agreement there. I, th- I think we are in very much in agreement there. Um, now, there may, be, there may be certain areas where you're like, nope, the, the government can't do that. And I may not disagree. I may agree with you that the government can't. Where my focus would be, I'm not going to focus on whether the government can or can't. I'm going to focus on what do I, what is my responsibility in the midst of it. D- does that make sense? Like my focus would be. Now, in some of these situations in France and those areas, let me make it very clear: I by no means am I speaking uh, for the most part, and what's going on in other countries. Because by no means I've not experienced it and I'm not that aware of all of those. I'm speaking more about America, where sometimes we treat everything as a persecute that we're being persecuted, when in some cases, as you see, we have freedom all over the place. But yeah, there are some places where, yeah, you, you the government seems to be really trying to impose itself on religion of all kinds, and that is concerning. That that I would agree with. I think sometimes in the United States, we we act like they're imposing when I don't really think it's the imposition that we think that it is, but it could always go that direction. So I think we would be in agreement that there's a line where the state can go and there's a line the state cannot cross. Now, when the state gets close to crossing that line or cross that line, what do we do? And that we, we may, we, we, we it would be interesting to see the different approaches. They go on to say, I look forward to listening to your future podcast on the Frankfurt Declaration, whether you agree or not. If you have any questions about the Declaration, feel free to contact me. That is super awesome. Because as I'm working through it, if I'm like, uh, huh, what does that mean? I can pick up the phone and contact or not pick up the phone. I can email. Okay. I can contact and um, immediately get hopefully an answer or at least within 24 hours And then I can hold off on on doing so. And I think we're going to possibly work through the Frankfurt Declaration as a congregation um, because I like, because I got people from all kinds of different kind of perspectives. So I think some people will be like, that's right, the government can't do it. And I tend to be more like, I'm not really there to fight the government. So it's going to be interesting to get the different perspectives. Now, I emailed them and said, hey, are you sure I can, can I use your comments? And they said, they responded back, you're welcome to use my comments. Um, I would appreciate if you would present them as response to questions that you raise and not a rebuttal to the original article. And that's what I've tried to do. I've tried to not mention anything that he has said in regards to the original article. As you work through the declaration, feel free to contact me if you have questions about what we say or what we don't say. All right, that I'm very appreciative of that. Very appreciative of that. If you would like to do a Zoom chat so we can actually discuss back and forth, personally, not your podcast, I would appreciate hearing your questions and concerns. And I may take them up on that. I may do a Zoom call or FaceTime or Skype or whatever to just raise the questions. But I so appreciate this because this is, look, sometimes I get very frustrated, you know, with the world of Christianity where there's nothing but fighting and arguing and disagreeing. And here's someone who could have perceived my original podcast episode as not being so friendly to their perspective. But instead of being defensive, it's more like, here's the information, and if you need anything, I'm here to discuss it. Very, very godly, very mature, and very—it gives me hope that Christians, even though we disagree, sometimes we can actually have (laughs) meaningful conversations. And— Maybe we'll. Sometimes, when there pair, appears to be disagreement, when there's meaningful conversation, two sides can come closer together. I think the difference here is just going to be on perspective, right? My perspective, especially anything related to COVID, my perspective is our focus should have been what can we do to help and minister to people? What can we do to save and preserve life? I don't care about my rights. I don't care. Die to self, sacrifice self, give up my rights for the better of other people. That That's more my focus, right? Um, I'm not saying that my focus is the only focus that matters. I'm just saying that I think that should have been the priority. I'm not saying at some point, especially in some of these countries where things were really crazy, and in certain parts of the United States as well, there was definitely times to raise your hand and go, what in the world? But I'll never forget the pastor in Louisiana who was being interviewed by CNN, I absolutely loved his brutal, blunt honesty. He basically like, we're not going to follow the rules and we're going to keep having church services. And CNN basically said, why are you going to do this? He's like, look, we stop having services. The money doesn't come in and we end up losing this place. This place is going to get closed down. He's like, we're just like any other business. Now, part of me that was, again, I loved his honesty because he's like, we're going to stay open because of money, right? It wasn't about God-given rights. It's about money. I appreciated that. But what ticked me off is like, hey, don't you realize all the other businesses around you are shut down and they're suffering? Like well, like the church is like, no, nope, we're not going to shut down because we're going to lose money. Wait, what about all the businesses that we're shutting down? So I, I just sometimes Christians just feel like, you know we can do it because God's on our side, and 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 so there was a lot of attitudes like that that bothered me in regards to COVID. But I do like this seems to be a much more hey um, there. There's some issues here that need to be addressed, and I and I and I'm definitely willing to listen to them. I would add that the declaration is not all about COVID. All right, good. Rather, COVID served as the catalyst for the writing of the declaration. While many of our specific examples relate to COVID, they're not tied exclusively to COVID. Governments in Europe and elsewhere are opening, are, opening to, are opening talking about the possibility of lockdowns and other restrictions to fight climate change and future expected pandemics. We also realize that with a few exceptions, the persecution that has been experienced in Western countries has so far been mild and not restricted only to Christians. Compared to what Christians have suffered in other parts of the world, for a long time. While some people do not believe that we're seeing a movement towards totalitarianism in historically uh, democratic countries, many who have moved to the West from communist or former communist countries have expressed their concerns that we are indeed moving in that direction. We will soon be adding two Chinese translations of the declaration to the site, providing uh, provided us by Chinese Christians in the United States who believe that the declaration will be a great encouragement to Chinese believers in China. Now, that, yeah, those in China definitely are, have experienced things that I cannot even comprehend. So there you have it. I do appreciate that it's not just about COVID. Whenever COVID is mentioned, though, my COVID perspective was going to come out. Because I, I do believe whatever whatever the government did wrong, here's what I would say. My focus is always the judgment begins with us. That we always point the finger at ourselves. And I just believe too much of the focus of the church has been on what the government did wrong in COVID and not what the church did wrong. And basically what I saw is if you shut down and you went to live streaming only, you did it wrong. Or if you stayed open, you did it wrong. And I think our failure had far more to do with things not related to whether we were singing or not singing, whether we were in person or not in person. I believe our failure is because we were so self-centered and did not focus on ministering to people who were suffering great levels of depression, discouragement, and isolation and loneliness. And the church was not looking for clever ways to try to reach people in their loneliness and isolation. Instead of taking the opportunity for Christians everywhere to examine themselves, repent of their sins, and to grow spiritually, it turned into a lot of wasted time on social media arguing and screaming about conspiracy theories instead of spending time in prayer and using that time of isolation to focus on spiritual growth. I I am more concerned with how the church failed during the COVID situation, not all of the things people have argued about. So my issue is, that's what I wanted released, is how the church failed in the COVID pandemic, not how the government failed us and tried to take away our rights. Now, I'm not saying that that can't be addressed. I just feel like that we're never going to get the uh, the first thing addressed. But that's not their focus. So he signed his name. I'm not going to give his name because I don't know if he wants his name out there. Um, so I'm just going to leave that alone. But I greatly appreciate this and we will use this as kind of the starting point of our journey through the Frankfurt Declaration. I don't know when we're going to start. I'm going to try. Maybe Sunday night. Maybe. I don't know. We have a lot to do. Uh, we still are in Romans 10. For our Roman series, we're still in Jude and our Jude series. We still got Mark 2, 36 to complete. We still got the book of Amos. We've got so many series going on, um, Enemies Within the Church, all the different series we have going on, uh, What Youth Need to Be Taught in twenty. I mean, we have so many series. But um, we will we will make this a high priority to get this started, and we'll start working through it word by word, line by line, and I will definitely do my best to reach out to this person whenever there is confusion or whatever and say, Hey, what what are we getting wrong here? What are we getting wrong? And we'll do that. All right. So someone just said, awesome. Very interested to hear your thoughts on it. I hope so. We will see. We will see. All right. Thanks to the person who emailed me. Thank you for your kindness and your generosity, your grace, your mercy. And, uh, Give me a sense of hope that even though we may disagree, I mean, obviously we would disagree. You're Wesleyan, Arminian, (laughs) Augustinian, Calvin, Calvinistic, okay? Like we we would, there would be some disagreements on our soteriology, but maybe we're in closer agreement on this than I think, but even if we disagree, maybe we can be uh, agreeable in our disagreement. All right. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We'll create a series page for this on the Church One app in the probably next hour. We'll put the uh the original broadcast in that 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 uh series section. We'll put this broadcast there. We'll have the artwork, we'll have the description, and then you can follow that series and keep up with everything we have to say about the Frankfurt Declaration. If you have any questions about it, concerns about it, or if there's been lots of discussion in your your circles in regards to it, let me know, because it will let me know that we are talking about something that may be more relevant than I feel that it is currently. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.